following podcast contains spoilers and words like G, whiz, and gosh damn it. We watch it. We watch it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We Watched a Thing. I'm very excited for this week, and firstly, let me apologise if my voice is a little bit crackly. The man flu got hold of me and will not let go, as it tends to do. But I'm very excited to be here chatting with great friend of the show, DT from Space Castle, once again. How you doing, mate? Dude, I am great, man. Sorry you're a little fluish. I am a little coldish, I guess. I've got a little <laughs> nose and, and throat thing going on, so you're in good company. We're going to get through this together, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And this is our first time. You've been on the show twice before, both times doing new releases. And this time I reached out to you and I said, you know what? Pick one of your favorite films. I know that you have incredible taste in film. You are a great guy to chat film with. Correct me if I'm wrong. You've got a, a film degree. Is that right? I actually don't. I went to film school, but I got That's to a right. point where I had a choice where I could move to LA and continue my film career or not move to LA and be a happier person. And uh, I decided not to move to LA. So I actually didn't finish film school, but I did have a blast doing it. I learned a lot and it's made me into a rather insufferable film snob. So, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I've worked with film crew all over the world and very few of them have finished film school. It seems to be a trait that I can track. Most people who are really good at working in the industry never actually finished. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. But so, yeah, you came back to me with a list of a few movies that we hadn't done on the show before. And this one really, really jumped out at me because, I mean, who doesn't love this movie? Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Terminator 2 and your relationship with it and why you chose this one. And first, let me ask you this, because I think we're around the same age. Do you remember if you saw this or the first Terminator first? I think I saw this one first, honestly, because yeah. this was more of... I don't want to say family friendly, but a little bit more approachable for me being like, I think it was eight when this movie came out. And uh, the Terminator, the original one is kind of scary. It's more of like a sci-fi horror thriller than this one, which is more of like a sci-fi action thriller. Yeah. So it was definitely one where I grew up watching Terminator 2 and kind of discovered the Terminator a little bit later, like towards the end of like grade school, let's say, just because I wasn't quite ready for it. I was kind of a wussy when it came to horror movies when I was a kid. So, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I see this franchise very similar to the Alien franchise, where it starts with really much more of a horror movie, and then the sequel is, as you say, much more of an action. Um, So, I mean, yeah. Have you always loved this movie? Always, man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was eight years old, and like this is like peak 90s filmmaking. It's just insane. It's fantastic. Yeah. 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 Well, let's get into it then. Terminator 2 Judgment Day is a 1991 American science fiction action film produced and directed by James Cameron, who co-wrote the script with William Wisher. It stars, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton, Robert Patrick, and Edward Furlong. And what is it about, DT? Terminator 2 Judgment Day is about how you should never trust Los Angeles police officers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's uh, it's a continuation of uh, the first film, which was a smash hit, and uh, they felt a lot of pressure to come up with a, a, a follow-up to it. And it's about the continuing saga of Sarah Connor, who um, becomes pregnant with the inevitable destined leader of the resistance of humanity, who has to do battle with the robots of the 80s who have come uh, sentient and have basically destroyed most of humanity. And uh, her struggles to keep her son alive because he's supposed to save the world. And yeah. doing battle with robots in all kinds of 80s fashion and 90s fashion. 
and Guns N' Roses being on the soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is perfect timing for me, actually, because just in the last month, I did a guest spot over on the wonderful movie reviews in 20 Q's podcast talking the first Terminator. And I mentioned when I did that, that I almost didn't bother even rewatching it because it's a film that I've seen so many times that I was like, oh, I can, I can do this. And I threw yeah. it on just to kind of refresh myself and got hooked because I love that film. I made the big call on that episode that I personally feel like Terminator is a better film than Terminator 2. But I have to say, after rewatching this one, I'm correcting myself. I'm a sack of shit. I lied. <laughs> I think it's truly just recency bias. And for me, it's just whichever one of these two I've watched latest, that's the one that I'm loving that day. Because I think they're both just exceptionally good films. I think so, too. I think they're separate but equal, too. Like you said before, it's it's very much parallel to the Alien franchise. And it's interesting because James Cameron kind of did the same thing with both franchises, where the first film was like a small, intimate, intense yeah. sci-fi horror movie. And the second one, James Cameron just kind of blew it wide open and expanded the universe and turned it into like a full-on just bombastic action movie. Yeah. So I love the first Terminator movie for the fact that it's small and intimate and scary and weird. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is just terrifying in it. Yeah, And I love so good. T2 Judgment Day because it's just that quintessential, massive, gigantic, everything's getting set on fire and blown up 90s action movie. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the shooting of the film took place over six months in Los Angeles and thereabouts, and uh, naturally, it went way over schedule, and uh, <laughs> the production was super rushed and super rocky. They had a lot of issues uh, repurchasing the rights back from the people that James Cameron sold it to to yeah. make the first movie. Yeah, I think he sold been- the script and the rights for like a dollar just to get it made, and yeah. then there was a big dispute over who owned the rights and how to get it back. They were able to purchase the rights because he talked, he and Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was a massive proponent for this film and trying to get yes. it made, yeah. he went out and he negotiated just as hard as James Cameron did to get the rights back to make this movie. And they ended up purchasing the rights for somewhere between like 15 and $20 million. Yeah, which sounds read- like a lot of money until you saw the returns when this movie became the third highest grossing movie of all yeah. time at that point. <laughs> so really good wheeling and dealing. But um, the production was super rushed. It was really rocky. Um they planned out all of like the pre-viz stuff and all like the vehicle chases with James Cameron literally just filming like toy cars on tables yeah, and then sending yeah. that footage over to like the storyboard <laughs> artists just to get it done. Yeah. And they didn't have a whole lot of time to like test out a lot of the practical effects on set and whatnot. They had to just shoot it. And if it didn't work, they cut that out of the movie or they shot around it and edited it out. Like yeah. it was for as being as big and bombastic and huge and expensive because it was like the most expensive movie of all time at that point. And it was kind of shot super well. gorilla style, really. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of punk rock how this movie was made, which is rad. Yeah. yeah. I know it's crazy that this is an independent film and you're right. I the figure I read was 17 million for the rights because that sounds I, right. I, yeah. I think that the rights were split. The original studio and some of them, and also Cameron's ex-wife, who had co-written the Terminator with him, owned a share of oh, the rights right. as well. So they had to purchase from both of them. Yeah. And so when they did that, Cameron didn't even have a storyline in mind. It was it was much more Arnie who really wanted to to push this thing. Um, and so yeah, they had like seven weeks to write the script. Yeah, I think it was super quick. It, and it's insane because this is. I mean, I think that there's definitely a narrative around that Cameron is a much better director than he is a writer. And I think that's true. I think his dialogue is not always the strongest. Sure. But I think narrative and story-wise and pacing, this is an incredible screenplay. Like, I said it about a month ago and I watched the first Terminator, that I was shocked at how short that film was. I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that that film was only like an hour 40. Like, in my head, 
that's a, a plus two hour film, but the pacing is amazing. And then I had the exact opposite experience when I put this one on yesterday and I saw that it was two hours, 17 minutes. And I was like, I can't believe this is that long. Yeah. <laughs> I actually had that exact same reaction when I rewatched it for prepping for this, where I always imagined T2 being super short, like 90 minutes. Yes. And then I put it on and like the runtime comes on when you stream it. It's like, this is two hours and 20 minutes. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like it when you watch it. It's Not so brisk. It's the awesome. pacing is insane. 11 minutes into the film, we have met There's all the no main fat characters and the story has been fully established. And, I'm not really usually much of an action movie guy. Like I, I'm much more into dramas. What I like about this film is more the thriller side of things, but that action sequence, which is effectively the last hour of the movie from the moment they go to miles house. And then from there go to Cyberdyne and then the steel mill. It's like a full hour long action sequence that just never lets up and never stops. And the pacing of it is so incredible. You just, Oh fuck! I love this movie. <laughs> I do too, man. And there's some there's some bat shit. Can I? Cur- I forget. Can I curse on this show? You can oh, bleep it out later. You can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is some bat shit stuff involved with the the shooting of that entire sequence too. Because yeah, uh, they go down to Mexico and they arm up, and Sarah takes off and she goes to Miles Dyson's house, the guy who's responsible for all the research and development that eventually leads into you know Cyberdyne and Skynet being yeah. created. She goes to assassinate him to try and stop everything from happening. She has a change of heart. They team up with Miles Dyson, who realizes realizes the error of his ways as a scientist, all of his hubris yeah. and whatnot. He's like, I was just doing this because it was like super cool. Like we yeah, found a robot yeah. arm and a microchip, and we're gonna make some rad, really rad stuff out of it. And he's like, Oh, I, I end up killing three billion people. All right, let's go yeah. take care of this. <laughs> yeah. And they do that and they storm the Cyberden building. And there's this just massive all-out war between Sarah Connor and the Terminator and like the entire like Los Angeles Police Department yeah, <laughs> and all the special yeah. units. And uh, there's just some wild stuff that happens, like the subsequent chase when they get out of the Cyberdyne building and yeah. uh, the T-1000 is chasing them in the helicopter. There's that shot of the helicopter going underneath the freeway overpass. Yeah, yeah. And it's hysterical if you listen to the commentary about James Cameron because he's like, you see that helicopter going into that highway overpass? That's a helicopter going underneath a highway overpass. Yeah. And yeah. Um, they they decided they were going to do this shot. And the the pilot who actually performed the maneuver, they did it twice, which is insane. And I'll explain yeah, why. Wow, but yeah, the, wow. The pilot who performed the maneuver is actually the guy who was in the helicopter when the T-1000 like oozes through the windshield. And he's like, get out. That's <laughs> the pilot who did this. Yeah. And he actually flew that helicopter underneath that freeway overpass at 70 miles an hour. And the film crew was so adamantly against it, and they were so afraid something was going to go terribly wrong, they refused to take part. Yeah. So Cameron grabbed the camera, got into a car, and shot the thing twice oh, himself. Man. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, insane. like this thing for being as big as it is, it was like totally punk rock and like guerrilla yeah. filmmaking. It's great. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. And I yeah. think you can you can really feel that. Like the amount of practical effects in this film are insane. Like this shouldn't it shouldn't sound shocking because this is a film from 1991. Like this is literally a 31-year-old film. Like visual effects were, you know, all practical at this point really. And yet when I read this number today, so this film has a 137-minute runtime. And there are five minutes of CG in the entire film. Now, Which was you, unprecedented at the it time. It is unprecedented. And yet when you watch this film, that number sounds insanely low because this is nonstop action. Like virtually the only visual effects, as far as I know of, are the T-1000, the, the liquid metal. Mm-hmm. And like 
I mean, okay, sure. Would would a kid watching this movie today think that that looks insanely realistic? Probably not. But I tell you what, they hold up pretty fucking good for 1991. They really do, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, Dennis Muir in ILM, they knocked it out of the oh. park. And then they went on to do Jurassic Park just two years oh, later. Like, yeah, absolute which, height of their game. Just insane. Yes. I mean, Jurassic Park, I think, is still the height of visual effects. I don't think that we've ever topped it. And I think that so much of that is due to that blend of, you know, robotics, practical effects, CGI. It's Because the blend is what makes everything so real. And, exactly. I, and I think that that's what worked with this film as well. Like, you know, you watch some of these sequences and you just, it's shocking. Like when Linda Hamilton is having that vision of that nuclear fallout at the playground, mm-hmm. and that was all done with miniatures, you know, like, and they had studied like how a nuclear bomb explodes and like what the path of the fallout would be and everything. And like the care taken in sequences like that is absolutely insane. <laughs> Cameron is meticulous, especially yeah. when it comes to details. Like he he understands and he gets that type of stuff. And anything he doesn't understand, he fully researches to like an obsessive degree. Oh, and yeah. there's little there's little hints of that throughout this movie. Like the T one thousand is flying the helicopter chasing, you know, Sarah Connor, John Connor, and the T eight hundred in the truck. Yeah. And at this while he's piloting this helicopter, he's actually like shooting a machine gun and reloading it. Yes, and there's only, yeah. there's only certain angles and clips where we can see they added like a, a third arm coming out of the T-1000's <laughs> stomach to pilot it. Like who would think to do that? Yeah. Or like when they're storming the, the Cyberdyne building, uh, the Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, he's got uh, a bandolier full of uh, like smoke grenades, like yep. gr- like grenade launcher. And uh, you don't notice it at first, but he, he flings all the grenades to his back. Because he's yeah. going to go walk out into a group of cops who are going to shoot at him. And he doesn't want to blow himself up. He doesn't want to blow the cops up either because he's he's been ordered by John not to kill anybody. Yeah. it's This movie is just for as rushed and crazy and intense and over the top and just bonkers as it is. Yeah. The attention to detail is just staggering. And that's just how James Cameron's mind works, man. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that, I mean, this is the this is the height and the peak of his like creativity, I think. And like, as like an aspiring writer and everything, I think this film is incredible. Like the narrative that this film takes and for him to write it in seven weeks or something Mm -hmm. is insane. Like even, even just that simple. So just that simple turn of having the T 800 be the good guy now, you know, like it's, it's a really, really smart choice. Like, because from a narrative point of view, Linda Hamilton is terrified of this thing. Like she's she's feared this thing forever, and now she has to learn to, like I guess, team up with it. Yeah, it's it's just so smart. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it shouldn't work as well as it does. Like you take like the the villain of the previous movie and you make him, yeah, not quite cuddly, but sort of sympathetic, and his bond with John Connor is a little cheesy at times, but still, yeah, heartfelt. But overall, it works for some reason. I think mostly due in char- into to the charm of Arnold Schwarzenegger as a character. Yeah. He is just so good in in this movie at marrying like the robotic awkwardness of being a you know a robotic killing machine, yeah. and also sort of inquisitive and likable because he's just this stone faced action star. It just works for some reason. It just it just works. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, well, let, let's talk actors then. I mean, obviously, yeah. Schwarzenegger, this, I mean, the Terminator is easily for me his best character, both in the first film and in this, which are both entirely different characters. I think it's the best acting work he has ever done. And what about, what about my boy, Mr. Freeze, though? (laughs) (laughs) 
eyes to see you. <laughs> uh, I, I fully agree. This is just some of his best work by far. Yeah. Yeah. And Linda Hamilton, I mean, she goes above and beyond in this movie. Like, again, the turn of character for her between the first movie and this. Yeah. And, you know, I was reading that before they even started writing. Cameron and his co-writer just sat down and rewatched the first Terminator and thought about how long it had been since and where would these characters be now. And, I mean, it's such a realistic choice. Like, if you knew what the future was and you knew that the future was this destruction and death of the entire planet, you would effectively go insane. Like, totally. And she is a badass in this film. She absolutely transforms, and it's amazing, from, like you said, like, her turn of the character from being like this meek and passive and terrified character in the first movie to just being this determined and clever and just fierce protector of a woman is just staggering. And Hamilton is fantastic throughout this entire movie. She is just a dynamo. Yeah, yeah. Now, obviously, this film relies pretty heavily on a child actor as well. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't always go well. Where are you on Edward Furlong in this film? I think we've seen better child actors, but we've also seen way, way worse. <laughs> yeah. For the fact yeah. that this was his introduction and it's this huge, massive, high-profile action movie, I think the kid's actually, I think he was really good in the movie. Yeah. And I think his comedic timing was really solid, too. He had a really great rapport with, with Arnold, especially. Yeah, I agree. I think what really, really makes this film work is the relationship and the chemistry between the three of them. Mm -hmm. And you're right, that kind of... I think the chemistry between him and Arnold in particular is really good. But I also think that Furlong is pretty good in those those scenes with Linda Hamilton where he's meant to portray that kind of sadness about how his life has ended up due to his mother. And, like, I, I think he does pretty well. I think – I mean, like you said, I don't think it's the best performance we've ever seen. But I think a lot of that actually does come down to the dialogue. Like, this is a very 91 film. There's a lot of, like, yo, dude. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, you know, hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, it's kind of cheesy. But but I think it works. And I think that he actually does a pretty good job in this film. I agree. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's impressive what he was able to pull off. Or Cameron was able to pull out of him, too, as, as being a child actor. I think Furlong was great. I, I really do. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I would give him like a like a solid B plus A minus. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what you said there. I think you're right. I think the performance of a child actor really is dependent on the director and what the mm -hmm. director is able to pull out of them. Um, that's right. This came up when I was talking about Firestarter, and you can see it with using that as an example. Drew Barrymore's performance yeah. in ET, where she's got Spielberg pulling this performance out of her, and then like less than a year later in Firestarter, where she's quite frankly not very good. Yeah, <laughs> like it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It comes down to the director and, and yeah, Cameron. I mean, he's regardless what you think of him, the man can direct a film. <laughs> he's masterful. Absolutely. But, he's he's a maestro. Yeah. Let's talk about Robert Patrick because Robert Patrick is just the man in this movie as the, the, <laughs> the cold, calculating, just predator of a Terminator, the T-1000. Yes. So speaking of predator, he actually he based all of his movements when he was training for the movie on a shark. And yeah. when you go back and you watch, you can totally see that the way he just kind of moves and kind of yeah. slithers around yeah. and slinks. And it's very, very cool. And he's terrifying. He never blinks in a movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's always just moving very smoothly and very calculated. And that voice and that icy stare, like you just fully buy into him being just this horror villain. And he's just great. Absolutely. I mean, I love Robert Patrick. I don't know. Are you an X-Files fan at all? I actually wasn't until like film school. 
Yeah, but I never watched it as a kid, and then like a bunch of my friends were into it. I was like, all right, I'll try this out, and I actually ended up enjoying quite a bit of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm because I'm a massive fan, and I seem to be the one person in the world who sees Robert Patrick, and I just think Agent Doggett. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> where everyone else is like, what, what are you talking about? He's the T one thousand. Like, but yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah, this is the performance of his lifetime. Like, he is exceptionally good in this. Yeah. Role and it's a role that it's easy to look at a performance like this and think, oh, that's easy to do. Like you know, he, so barely, he barely has to talk. He just, but yeah, it's it's extremely difficult. <laughs> like yeah, he did a lot of physical training for that. Like just focusing on his movements. Yeah, and he ran and jogged and sprinted a lot oh. to be able to look like menacing when he was running. Um, funny story. It was he was actually to the point where they started filming. He was actually able to outrun John Connor's dirt bike. Yeah. So that scene where John wow. Connor's leaving the mall on this dirt bike, like they yeah. had to slow down Robert Patrick and shoot it differently because <laughs> he was able to like catch up to the bike in no time because he was just That's sprinting insane. all the time. Yeah. I mean, the way he runs just displays such character. Like, like as an animator, and I'm sure that you feel this as a designer yourself, like there is so much in a walk cycle or a run cycle. Like you can mm-hmm. portray so much about a character just in the way that they move. And that run with those arms out front and when they, you know, that scene, that iconic scene where he's chasing down the car and those like big metal poles come out of his arms. Like it's, yeah. it's so brilliant. That's awesome. We narrowly missed that performance. Do you know who uh, James Cameron's original choice for the T-1000 was? I don't. I know that his original idea was to have two Arnies fighting each other, was to have both T-800s. But no, I don't know who who the original 1000 was. His original choice to play the T-1000 was Billy Idol. No joke. Wow. And that it was all set bizarre. to go, and Billy Idol got into a, a motorcycle accident and couldn't do it in time for shooting. So they had to re- like, wow. recast, and they found Robert Patrick. That's but, yeah. insane. The it's only Billy Idol weird. performance I think I've seen is in The Wedding Singer. I, yeah, right. I, I don't think of him as an actor. No. <laughs> but I just can't imagine, first of all, Billy Idol in a cop uniform. That alone is just bizarre. Yeah. But how Billy Idol would have portrayed the character and like his movements and like the the menacing aspects of it, I, it's hard to imagine. But yeah, I'm super thankful we got Robert Patrick the way we did. Um, thankfully, Billy Idol recovered from that motorcycle accident. He's obviously doing fine. <laughs> yep, he was in the way. But man, <laughs> Robert Patrick just turned out to be one of the most iconic like Hollywood villains of all time. Like the T one thousand is just absolute action movie icon at this point. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Can we talk score for a minute here? Absolutely. Because this is hands down one of the greatest scores in the history of cinema. Like the way that it builds on the original Terminator score, which is already excellent. Mm-hmm. But to add in that melody and have it work so well for every emotion that these characters are feeling, like it's yeah. just, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. Brad Fiedel did an amazing job with the first Terminator and it's very 80s, that soundtrack. A lot of uh, yeah. instrument sampling, a lot of synth. But like you said, he takes what he had from the original film and he expounds upon it. Yeah. And what he was able to do, taking the the small sort of scary soundtrack of the first Terminator yeah. and turning it into a more bombastic, like horns and trumpets and everything yeah. going off. Yeah. Is just uh, an achievement. And at no point does it feel dated, which is weird because it's was, all synth yeah. and like samples, but I know, it still yeah. really works. And the sense of tension, like you said, is just, it's just amazing. Yeah. I was just going to say that because, you know, you brought up how kind of 80s the first score is. This, this is timeless. Like, yeah. I still listen to this soundtrack today. Like, it's just, yeah, it's an achievement. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's really, it's just, really good. 
it's so memorable as well. Like there are a lot of scores that really work for what they're doing on screen, but you couldn't hum them afterwards. It, like a lot I of Marvel hear, movies. No, yeah, <laughs> you could hear just the first three notes of this score, and you know what yeah. it is instantly. It's it's like Jurassic Park. It's just iconic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the sound design for this movie in general is just absolutely bonkers. It ended up winning the Oscar for best uh, sound effects editing and yeah. best sound that year. And for good reason, because they put an absolute F ton of work into this movie. Yeah. Um, first of all, if you notice going back and watching it, you and I are both film buffs. We can see when things aren't quite right. And the one thing that's not quite right about this movie is the fact that like over 70% of the dialogue is ADR. It had yeah, to go back yeah. and be looped over because of how lo- like loud and bombastic and crazy and all over the place the actual shooting was. So most of the, the live recording of the dialogue was just worthless. So they went yeah. back and actually, I think that kind of helps Edward Furlong's performance a little bit too. Yeah. I think his line delivery, being able to go back and do multiple takes and change things up and add emphasis when needed, I think that really helped yeah. the performance too. Yeah. But 70% of the movie's dialogue is, is looped over. And the only movie I can think of off the top of my head that did just as much, if not more, ADR is uh, the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah. Because the, the motors in the turtles' heads were so loud that they had to go back and redub all the, the human actors' dialogue because it was yeah. just round out. Oh, man, I used to but, be such a fan of that movie. We should do uh, that together at some point. <laughs> let's do it, man. That's one, yeah. still one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, same. We might, we might do an episode of that of uh, A Real Drunk, our YouTube series. If we oh, do that, we'll have fantastic. you on. Oh, yeah. mate, for sure. Yeah, l- yeah. L- l- let me ask you this. Who's your favorite turtle? Raphael. Raphael? No, yeah, no, right. yeah, no hesitation. No question. Raphael. Yeah, right. I was always Leonardo. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. It's, it's hotly debated amongst us over in Space Castle because I'm a Raphael guy. Alex is Leonardo and uh, Seth is Donatello. And yeah. we ended up getting, not drunk, but, you know, inebriated <laughs> to a, a, an enthusiastic degree. One of our favorite breweries back in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, we're like, you guys realize like we are our favorite Ninja Turtles. Like, <laughs> I'm like the, the surly, like sarcastic one. And Alex is like the, like the stoic leader. And yep. Seth is always building stuff and learning things and tinkering. And it's, we, we had a really good laugh over that, but <laughs> yeah. But uh, Terminator 2 sound design, like I said, they won multiple Oscars for it. Yeah. Uh, Cameron was very meticulous in that too, as far as sound design, where all the guns are bigger than life. Yeah. And in many cases they would, they would, um, they would shoot, and then they would go back and they'd replace the gun sounds with bigger and more powerful weapons. Yeah, so like right. Arnold's Arnold's shotgun is actually like cannon fire, like no joke, yeah, like cannon yeah. fire. <laughs> and like uh, the T one thousand's pistol, were in the they're in that back hallway in the mall. It's like it doesn't have a silencer, but it sounds like ultra silence, but also loud at the same time. Yeah, it's just super hyper realistic. And for sound systems coming up at the time they did, it was like. Terminator 2 and like Jurassic Park were the two movies yeah. that came out that really kind of pushed the demand for really good sound quality in theaters. Yeah. And rightfully so. And thankfully, because the sound of this movie is just fantastic. It's really, really good. Yeah. I mean, like it's it's funny you mention all that because as an Australian, I have zero idea what guns sound like. Like I just I just don't know. But I'm an man, American. I hear them every day. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, they do come across as larger than life in this film. So that's really interesting to know that they were replaced with with bigger weapons. That makes sense. Yeah. And what's cool is like, I don't know if it's cool, but it's very interesting is uh, the entire sequence of Sarah Connor busting out of um, the, whatever the name of the, the mental institution is. Yeah. Um, from the time she like unlocks the door and runs out to the point where they get to the elevator and they take off. Um, 
they didn't record live sound at all. Yeah, it's right. all completely dead, and they replaced everything. They filled everything in with ADR and Foley and music. So the actual footage when they shot it is dead silent. It's super yeah, wild. Wow. You would never guess. It's brilliant. That's crazy. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just super cool. Yeah. This whole movie is just like it's little movie magic. Like it's everything yeah, about this yeah. movie is just like wizards at the height of their craft. It's fantastic. I mean, ab- absolutely. Like I'm sure that you're the same. This this movie is part of the reason I am who I am. Like yeah. it's oh, yeah. movies movies like this and Jurassic Park and then later in my life more indie movies like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind like that that's why movies like this are why I'm doing what I'm doing today like yeah. it's yeah let's yeah. let's talk the franchise then okay. um, do we have do we have to it ended I, with this well, movie didn't it well that's why I'm there was curious. just the two movies and it's over <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this I don't know if you've seen all the rest of them i haven't i've only seen the third one and then the most recent one dark fate where are um, you on the rest of the franchise do you wish that they had just stopped here i i do wish that uh i have never watched the sarah uh connor chronicles a tv series but i've heard good things yeah that's actually very good um, yeah yeah i never i i never saw that but i did see for better or worse all of the other subsequent movies because i was such right. a huge fran like fan of the franchise growing up yeah um Rise of the Machines, Terminator 3 has some interesting things to say, but it, it mostly treads water and the ending I just end up hating. Yeah. Um, I think Terminator Salvation is the most interesting and probably the most noble failure of all of them. Yeah. Um, I know people think Sam Worthington was really flat and whatnot. Uh, I liked uh, Christian Bale as John Connor. I would like to, I fully just wanted, since I was a little kid, just a movie of nothing but the future war. And yeah, that's yeah. as close as I'm yeah. ever going to get. And that scene with the big hunter-killer robot thing at the gas station is still like an all-time action scene. It's yeah. really well shot. Uh, overall, I don't really love it. I, don't, I haven't really revisited it in probably 10 years. Yeah. Um, Genesis and Dark Fate, um, I think the world would be a better place if they were never made. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that as a huge Linda Hamilton fan, and the novelty of seeing her come back for Dark Fate was really fun, but the movie was just abysmal. Yeah. And the less said about Terminator Genesis with Jai Courtney and Amelia Clark, the better. Just an yeah. absolute disaster. Yeah, I agree. I was always so disappointed because I'm with you. I I would love a sequel that's just the war because yeah. I think that and the whole thing about I, like, I don't know about you, but watching this film, I always felt like, well, a sequel's inevitable because they can't change fate. Like. It's it's an it's an interesting concept to me that the whole kind of message of this movie is about being able to change fate and you know we can do this stuff when we all know before the movie even starts that they can't because if at any point they do John Connor just disappears off the face of the earth right like it's predestination like everything has to happen exactly the way it does otherwise he never sends Kyle Reese back he's never born like everything has yeah. to go exactly the way that so. Yeah, I always wanted to kind of see that play out. <laughs> that would have been an inter- interesting ending. And if they ever do decide they're going to make the last and final Terminator movie, that is something they should probably do where everything just gets irrevocably erased. Like, none yeah. of this ever happens because they've gone back and fixed it so it doesn't. Time travel in movies is very difficult and very confusing and wishy-washy. And <laughs> yeah. this is one of those franchises, and there are some that I refuse to do so, where I just kind of like brush away the the inconsistencies of the time travel just for the sake of enjoying the movies because they are so good in and of what they are. Yeah. Um, 
See, I yeah. actually don't <laughs> feel like there are inconsistencies. Like I said, to me, I feel like it all works as long as you accept that, that they can't change fate. Like if, if you just accept that everything is going to happen exactly as it, as it has, and no matter what they do, it's going to play out the same, yeah. then I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you seen? You ever seen the alternate deleted ending for Terminator Two? I did just recently. It was about two or three weeks ago. I saw it. Um, but remind me yeah. what it is. Uh, well, we know uh, at the end of the, the theatrical cut uh, that you know the Terminator goes in lava and does the really awful, terrible thumbs up. And <laughs> then you just see the long stretch of highway, and, like the end of the yeah. first movie and with the Sarah Connor yeah. voiceover. Yeah, there's an alternate cut. You can find it on YouTube really easily, where it's thirty years in the future. And John Connor is now a U.S. senator. <laughs> right. And uh, Sarah Connor's lived to be, you know, the ripe old age of 60, whatever. And they're in a park playing with John Connor's daughter. And she's doing this voiceover about how, you know, they stopped Judgment Day. They saved the world. She wanted to go running through the streets screaming about how she saved everybody and everything's going to be great and how everybody should cherish every day. Instead, she just got drunk and, like, <laughs> stayed by herself. And... um the, one of the last lines in the movie is the fact that she still is haunted by the potential inevitability of that quote unquote dark future still coming true. Yeah. So she's still haunted by the idea that at any point time could diverge or something could happen in the past and everything could just be erased. Yeah. Which is interesting because I like the finality of T2 as the end of the franchise. And that's how Cameron and, and uh, Wisher actually wrote it. But I love the idea that fate is always changing and you think you may have changed things forever and everything might be good and in the blink of an eye something might go horribly wrong or things might re might go back to the way we're, they were before excuse me the way they were before and there's no way of going back and changing that i like the super cautious optimism yeah. of, of how terminator 2 ends yeah and yeah. i i don't think they should have gone forward with the franchise at that point i think it was too much of a good thing and yeah. the diminishing returns on the subsequent movies was just not worth watering down the franchise as a whole. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what I was going to ask you just now. Like, do you think that there is another franchise that's a better example of diminishing returns in terms uh, of like- Star Wars? <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I don't think you have to apologize for that. I feel like that's a pretty popular opinion right now, surely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Jurassic Park. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the other one that pops into my mind. I think Alien is another one that, again, plays out very similar to this. I'm one of the weirdos that likes Aliens 3, and I dislike everything afterwards. See, I'm so, one of the weirdos that likes Prometheus. <laughs> really? You're yeah. a weirdo. Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Prometheus had some inter interesting things to say, but it never came together as like a cohesive, solid film for me. Yeah. It just felt like Ridley Scott just kind of noodling, which is fine. I'm a fan of jazz. I, I, I dig it. I understand what he was doing, <laughs> yeah. but it just didn't feel necessary. It felt very self-indulgent and non-committal. Yeah. Like his entire thing was like, yeah, it's a prequel to Alien, but it's also not a prequel to Alien. And yeah, that's kind of a xenomorph, but it's actually not a xenomorph and so forth. Yeah. And it's like, what are, what are you saying here? Really? Yeah. Like, yeah. Why, why are you showing this to me if there's no actual point? If you can't tell me what the point is and you're saying there is no point, why'd you make it? Yeah, that's fair enough. Let me ask you this, because we've spent a lot of time talking about what a fantastic director James Cameron is, and, and I stand by that. Are you a fan of Avatar, and are you excited for Avatar 2, 3, 4, 5? Can we talk about Titanic instead? <laughs> I love Titanic. Titanic. I do too, man. Oh, man, I think it's one of the best films ever made. 
Uh, Avatar is interesting in that it was another one of those big Cameron-driven leaps in technology. Yes. Um, yes. Much like the Star Wars prequels were um, in terms of like, you know, like what George Lucas was able to do with like Jar Jar Binks. Yep. Whether or not Jar Jar Binks is something you like or not, you can't deny the fact that that leap in technology was massively influential and very important to filmmaking. Yeah. That being said, I don't think Avatar really had anything interesting or unique to say. I mean, we yeah. saw it in Dances with Wolves. We saw it in Last of the Mohicans. We saw it, we saw it in Pocahontas. Fern, yep. Oh my God, Ferngully is like the, the number one culprit. Or actually, Avatar is the number one culprit for ripping <laughs> off Ferngully. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I saw Avatar once in theaters. And then I tried to watch it again when it was out on, I think it was like DVD or maybe streaming on Netflix at some point, And I couldn't get through it. Yeah. I couldn't get through it. It was it was a slog. Um I'm never ever gonna not bet on James Cameron because the man just prints money. I'm yeah. sure there's gonna be something of value in there, and I certainly hope there is because he's been making it for like twelve years. Yeah. But I can't muster up the courage to be like, yeah, I'm gonna go see Avatar 2 like opening weekend. Yeah. I'll check it out when it's available for for like home streaming and yeah. you know, I'll take it for what it is there. I'm not going in expecting to be disappointed. I'm not going in expecting to be blown away by it either. I think it just will be what it will be. But yeah. I do think it's going to make like $7 billion at the box office because it's James Cameron. It's just yeah, it's magic. Yeah. I think, I mean, going back to this film, I think that you nailed it just there when you said it's kind of that leap in technology. And I think that unfortunately Cameron is a director who really succumbed to that. And I don't actually think it's for the better. Like when you look at what makes this film so magic, like, I mean, like we've just spent the last half hour talking about it's, it's, it's the gorilliness of this film. It's the, you know, the, the, all those practical elements and everything that just work so well together. And that focus on storytelling, dictating what effects may be needed rather yeah. than thinking, oh, technology has gone here. How can I write a story that will let me do this? Which, yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of Cameron's strengths as a director, aside from the obvious, because he is a masterful filmmaker. Yeah. Is the fact that he surrounds himself with really smart people who also know how to make movies very, very well. Yeah. He got the best in the business to do the special effects. He got amazing editors to tell him this is really self-indulgent and dumb. Leave this out. Yeah. Unfortunately, he didn't listen to Sarah or I'm sorry, Linda Hamilton when she said the thumbs up was really dumb. He left it <laughs> in. But uh Terminator 2, I can see just from the deleted scenes in the director's cut, the theatrical cut has no fat on it whatsoever. Yeah, the the uh, the deleted scenes and the director's cut are a little chubby. They're a little sluggish, and I think Cameron is somebody who makes really good movies because he has people around him to tell him when something is just too much or yeah. self indulgent and needs to be trimmed back. Avatar, I feel like you said, is just unchained James Cameron doing whatever James Cameron wanted to do. Yeah. And the fact that he has now had like over a decade to work on the sequel now, I think it's just going to be the most James Cameron movie <laughs> you've ever seen. Yeah. And I don't know if that's going to be like amazing and fantastic or if it's just going to be a self-indulgent slog. I don't know. Yeah. One don't last know. one last unrelated tangent. I'm <laughs> sorry to keep going. <laughs> but another another film that we've now both established we both love, Titanic. Yeah. What's the what's the worst ending? The thumbs up in this or the heart of the ocean being thrown over the side by the old lady? Oh, that's tough. Um <laughs> I'm gonna say the heart of the ocean being thrown over the edge. It pisses me off every time. <laughs> Just because like the Terminator, like there's no reason for him to do the thumbs up. There's no like 
there's nothing established prior to the movie that would it's not a, it's like a throwback to anything it's it's just yeah, it's it not is, like it's, it's something there. that it's, john connor taught him to do or anything yeah which that would have been cool yeah yeah absolutely it's and it's a weird send-off for the character because he's still a killing machine yeah but the thumbs up just comes out of left field but it's inconsequential it's done and over with whereas you know rose throwing the heart of the ocean into the sea after those guys had spent so much time and money yeah and yeah. listened to that whole story as she told it <laughs> For her to just <laughs> f them over like that is just sadistic. Yeah. It, it's it's yeah. If I was Bill Paxton, I would have thrown her over the edge too. <laughs> I mean, speaking of the alternate endings, have you seen the alternate ending to that one where Bill Paxton and the old lady dance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bizarre. Again, James Cameron just like having no filter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So back to this wonderful film. How are you scoring Terminator 2 Judgment Day? Is this do you consider this to be a perfect film? No, no, it's not a perfect film. Um it's it's really, really good. And for what it is, it's still at the height of its genre and yep. you know, it's timeless, it's fantastic. Um I very, very rarely ever give a movie like a perfect score. Um I the last film I really thought was perfect. And the what I would just unhesitantly give a perfect score is uh, everything everywhere all at once. Oh, and I loved your episode on that because you hit on everything I love about that oh. movie. And I was just completely blown away. Yeah. Easily um, the best film I've seen in the, like since I've started the show, easily the just best film I've seen. Unbelievable. I yeah. cried like no, oh, joke. I cried yeah. like four or five times. Yeah. And not, yeah. Like, not like tearing up. I'm like, Oh, I need to get up and pause this and grab some <laughs> tissues. I'm a wreck <laughs> yeah. right now. Like, yeah. Yeah. But uh, as far as Terminator two, I would give it like a solid, like 8.5. Yep. Or maybe like a nine for because for what it is, it is still the pinnacle and it's still the benchmark and it's fantastic, but it's not perfect. Yeah, I agree one hundred percent. I'm a, I'm a nine out of ten. I think that this is, yeah, probably the peak of the action thriller genre. I don't think that we've done better than this, and I don't think that we ever will. Probably just, I mean, at least for my tastes, because I feel like action thriller as a genre has now veered so much from what it was that. I just don't think we'll ever get this sense of fun again in a film like this. Yeah, like the Fast and Furious movies, I think, are the movies that try the hardest to reach that. But I have I have a weird relationship with the, the Fast and Furious franchise because I love the first three movies for very different reasons. Sorry to go off on another tangent once again. <laughs> yeah. I apologize. No, no, I love chatting to you. I'll, I'll chat all day about whatever. <laughs> the, the first movie is a legitimately good action movie. It's fun. Like the cars are great. Vin Diesel and Paul Walker are a blast, and it's just a really well-made movie. The second one is so batshit crazy and so over-the-top <laughs> and so cartoonish that you cannot help fall in love with it because it's just so damn charming. Like, Tyrese is just an absolute blast in that movie. Yeah. And I love Tokyo Drift because it goes right back to the roots of the franchise, and it just tells a small, intimate, fun story with really cool Japanese drifter cars, and it's just great. Yeah. Four and five go a little bit more bombastic, and they kind of fall into that sort of Terminator 2 sort of line of thinking where you you went from that small intimate story into like this big gigantic world globe trotting everything's exploding type of thing yeah and then you get to Fast and Furious 6 and everything just falls apart and becomes an absolute disaster yeah but my point is is that there's an earnestness and a genuineness to Terminator 2 and we've lost that in action movies and they all feel really really cynical and the Fast and Furious movies are the closest that have come in terms of that sort of feel but yeah. they become massively cynical and just unenjoyable as well. So. That's true. And I think that the big difference for me is that this is a film, and this is my favorite kind of film, is a film that is insanely entertaining, but you still feel like it actually has 
a point to it and an artistry to it and something to say. Like, yeah. you know, this film, it touches on a lot of different themes, which you might not even think of while you're watching it because you're having so much fun, but it's all about, you know, humanity and peace and fate and, you know, all these different things. And that's something that as fun as a movie like Fast and Furious is, I just don't know if it's ever kind of touched a, a real theme like that for me. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, man, thank you so much for joining me. Can you tell everybody where they can find Space Castle and Real Drunk, which is insane fun? And thank you. Just man, yeah. everything that you guys do. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so I'm one of three people who host Space, Space Castle. comes out every Wednesday. Uh, it is on literally every single podcast player you can think of. And you can find us on social media at Space Castle Pod and uh, SpaceCastlePodcast.com. Uh, Real Drunk, you can find on our uh, YouTube channel. We don't have enough subscribers yet to have a custom URL for YouTube. Uh, hint, hint, wink, wink. Everybody go subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if you do a search for Space Castle... Uh, on YouTube, you'll be able to find that series. And what we're doing on Real Drunk is we are watching classic movies, both good and bad, and we're devising drinking games that we write ourselves. And then we videotape ourselves performing those drinking games while watching the movie and cracking jokes. Yeah. And so far, we're up to five episodes, and the reception has been fantastic, and we're having an absolute blast doing it. Not so much the next morning, but the night of, we're just going full <laughs> board, having a great time. So yeah, come check us out and come hang out. Absolutely. We'd yeah, love to have hi you. highly recommended both the show and, and the YouTube series. I mean, they're both just heaps of fun. Thank you three, you're like you super professional as well like you you sound good you're like your your video work is amazing on real drunk it's really cool stuff thank you man. i don't know how yeah. you film it so well when you're so smashed but <laughs> uh we we make sure we're sober before we press record <laughs> and sometimes we just let the camera go until the battery goes out and we all go to sleep while we're drunk <laughs> and we don't worry about it till the next day when it's time to edit and clean up and you know make ourselves coherent <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely check it out. Thanks again for joining me. Next week, I will be getting to Jurassic World Dominion uh, with John from The Pint. And the week after, I'm really excited. I'm going to be checking out the new Alex Garland film Men with a friend of the show, Sean Carney. Because Men has already come out in the States, hasn't it? It has, yeah. Have you got yeah. to it yet? I have not had a chance yet. No, I was out in California for a week and yeah. work deadlines. I'm a little bit behind on my theater going. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, I'm lo really looking forward to that one. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with me, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing, and I'll catch you next week. Y you're still here? The, the show's over. Go home. Go. But if you can't get enough of We Watch to Thing, why don't you check out our Patreon page? There's tons of behind-the-scenes content, heaps of bonus episodes. You can get full, unedited videos of each episode recording. You can pick a movie for me to do on the show, or even come and join me while I talk about it. So why don't you head over to patreon.com forward slash We Watch to Thing. Go watch a movie.